This week we turn our attention to the final verse of this magnificent psalm, Psalm 23. We've been laying those words, each verse, alongside the words of Jesus each and every week. So I invite you to stand as you were able for our scripture lessons today. Psalm 23.6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Finish it with me. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then from John 14, we hear these words. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. And I've said these things to you while I'm still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I've greatly appreciated your feedback from this sermon series on Psalm 23. We have taken time to press pause and go through line by line. And we've even pressed a double pause, spending a couple of weeks on verse 5, the first part of verse 5 and the second part. So we've stretched it out even longer than I had initially anticipated but I've loved your feedback. Uh, some of you have said that this has impacted your understanding of who God is and how God walks with you by faith, uh, in your faith walk. Others of you have said that you have a better understanding of what it means to be fed and led, but also the importance of feeding and leading, that there's a community connection between the flock and, um, and those who are neighbors. Um, Many of you have articulated how this series, these six short verses, have shaped your understanding of the Imago Dei, the image of God. We get a very particular image of who God is, not punitive, but caring, pastoral, guiding. And so many of you have said how much you've appreciated slowing down and processing a few words of Scripture line by line, but slowly. We go through Scripture so fast, just like everything else in life. It's so important in times like these to slow down and to read. One of you said that this psalm has not been a favorite of mine. I memorized it as a child, but I think I too often associated it with death and with funerals. Right? The same with John 14. We read Psalm 23 and John 14 at, at just about every single funeral. But they're not psalms of death. They're psalms of what? Life. That's right. And one of you said, I, I've said this psalm out loud every day, 
but I only feel like I'm just now putting two and two together. To which I say, me too, me too. I can't stress enough to you about how much I do want you to know the psalm, Psalm 23. But more than I want you to know the psalm, I want you to know the shepherd. I want you to have an intimate relationship with the shepherd and with other sheep. Because the only way any of us are ever going to make it through this thing called life as choppy as the waters may be, as rough as the terrain might be, is to know the voice of the shepherd and to know one another and to rely on one another and to rely on our God. And so I hope you have heard over the course of the past few weeks that along life's journey, we do not have to have life all figured out at every moment of the day, that sometimes living in the unknown and swimming in the waters of uncertainty can actually be a holy space where we hear the voice of God more clearly. You know, Rona 2020 actually has some advantages. If nothing else, it's causing us to reprioritize and hopefully to listen more intently to God and to each other. Are you listening to God? Are you listening to one another? Hmm. The psalm opens with... The word, the Lord, it ends with the Lord, but it actually ends with the word forever. The Lord and forever. Forever is a big old scary word for a lot of us, much larger than one's imagination. Nicky Gumbel tells the joke in Alpha that a man was taking it easy, lying on his back, looking up and making cloud formations, you know, picking out images and stuff in the clouds. And he said to God, God, how long is a million years? God said, well, in my reference, that's about one minute. The man thought for a moment and said, well, God, how much is a million dollars? He said, well, that's about a penny. So the man said, okay, can I have a penny? God said, yeah, in a minute, right? <laughs> <laughs> to God, forever is but a blink. To us, it's unimaginable. I've even heard some of my favorite sheep say, Preacher, there's a fine line between a long sermon and a hostage situation. Forever is a long time, right? Hmm. I can't help but think with that in mind that the popularity of this psalm, it stems in part to the fact that it has a happy ending, right? That things work out that God's hospitality is on full display and we, we hear an invitation to follow God and where we're being led with, with other sheep, it's, it's through some rough times, but we're not alone. And the predators may come and the, the winds may howl, but we're not alone. We're there with, with the shepherd. And we're working our way. There's a shift in the middle of the psalm. We're working our way, not from a field, but to a table that's prayer, prepared before us in the presence of our enemies. So I can't help but wonder, as I think about this concept of time, that dwelling with God, being in God's presence, is more about just space and time and just more about lo than just location. And I've also discovered that I'm a lot more concerned about life before death than I am life after death. Joel Lamont teaches Old Testament at Candler over at Emory in Atlanta, and his 
his words on Psalm 23, verse 6 have been quite helpful because up to now we've been strolling to green pastures and alongside crystal clear waters and all the sheep noises are just as happy as they can be. But there's a, a shift that's happened because we've gone from following to being followed. I don't know if you heard that in the psalm or not. We're following where we're being led. Savior, like a shepherd, lead me. But now all of a sudden, verse 6 tells us something else, that we're being followed, chased. Dr. Lamont reminds us that uh, the word follow is actually too mild of a translation for the psalm. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. It's just too mild. Because what the writer of the psalm is actually telling us is surely goodness and mercy will hunt you down, will chase you, will voraciously pursue your life. Surely goodness and mercy will come after you. Now it's not lost on me that it's Halloween week and most of the cable networks will be showing some kind of scary horror movie with the exact same plot line, right? Bad guy chasing good people, right? And sometimes they have long razor fingers or chainsaws or knives or some of that object changes or the makeup changes. And it's really hard to believe because, you know, Jason and Mike and uh, Freddie, those are really good names. I don't know what happened to them somewhere along the way, but it did. So it's not lost on me that there's going to be a lot of chasing on our television sets leading up to Halloween, and it's scary. It's fearful. It's something evil chasing something good, and so many of us feel that way. Something evil is, is coming for me. But according to Psalm 23, 6, surely goodness and mercy are pursuing us. Interestingly enough, the second point is this. Surely is not the best translation either. In the Hebrew, it can also mean only. That's different, right? Only goodness and mercy are in pursuit of your life. Only goodness and mercy. So this entire culture of fear has been shaped by these anxiety-riddled films during Halloween time. But we look to Psalm 23, and there's a whole other kind of chase scene. And the image that we learn about our shepherd is that God does not send cancer and pandemics and catastrophes and financial woes and car wrecks and all these things for obstinate and disobedient sheep. That's not the image we receive. God sends goodness, God sends mercy in relentless pursuit of your life and of mine. Only goodness and mercy will follow. And so maybe the better follow-up question is, why are we running? If that's the case, if only goodness and mercy are following us, pursuing us, chasing us down, why are we running from God? Probably because of like, I don't know, Adam and Eve, all the disciples, shame, guilt, bad choices, bad relationships. Those aren't pursuit. Those are links in a chain. And when goodness and mercy catch up with you, those are the keys that unbind those chains. 
And God sends freedom. Freedom is what we're all after. So I've come to believe that when goodness and mercy pursue us, that we are being led by a shepherd from the front. We're being chased by goodness and mercy from the rear. We're being herded as sheep right onto God's porch and God's house and to a place at God's table. So I ask you, what drives you, right? What drives you? The other part in all of this, as Lamont says, is this word dwell. Uh, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I like that word. It sounds permanent, and I believe it is. I do. But it lacks a little bit of oomph. And the reason why is a better interpretation says, I will continually return to God's presence all of my days. It's one thing to, to dwell, right? I mean, we've, we've kind of hung our hats on that. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. What about when heaven starts right now? What about when goodness and mercy catch up with us and fill us up so we can pour out goodness and mercy for others? And I think that the present and the future are more tightly bound than we often acknowledge, that eternity does begin today, that glimpses of heaven happen, they happen right here on earth. <clears throat> Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions, and I go to prepare one of those places for you. Now, a prosperity preacher would tell you that Jesus will even personalize the tile and the floor mat if you'll just make sure that the church has a private jet and a motorcade, right? It's not how prosperity works. Don't let my sermon title fool you in that way. It's not God's prosperity. God's not interested in what this world values. God's interested in a different kind of reality, different kind of, of kingdom, different kind of values, different kinds of, of loyalties. And true prosperity of God is the assurance that no matter where we've been, goodness and mercy, they'll find us and unlock those chains and set us free. That no matter how often we become cast sheep, as we said a few weeks ago, God will find us and set us upright and begin returning life, that circulation to our atrophied legs and sending us back along our journey, no matter where we've been. I believe an eternal heaven is 100% real. Don't get me wrong. But I believe it starts right now. Part of the reason I believe that is because of, I don't know, Matthew 25. When the Son of Man has come in, in his glory, he will separate the sheep from the goats, and he'll put one in his right hand and one in the left, and, and the measure will be, have you fed, have you clothed, have you welcomed, and have you visited? Because when you've done it unto one of the least of these, you've done it unto who? Jesus himself. That's right. Well, I've learned something from your responses. I've learned something that I hadn't exactly considered learning uh, about this, so I'm very grateful to you for that. And that is sometimes it's, it's tough to know what it means to be a shepherd or a sheep in a, in a world where we live in a city. We don't have shepherd and sheep running around all over the place. So I have to think about the caregiving role in general. And so I've thought, I've thought about that a lot. I've thought about my role as a father, providing for my children when they couldn't provide for themselves, especially when they were little, you know. Now they have different kind of needs when they come home, right? But when they were little, they couldn't care for themselves. They couldn't feed themselves. 
clean up after themselves. You know how this is. I think about how intimate those moments are at 2 and 3 in the morning when we're caring for someone who's so helpless. I heard my dad say the same about caring for his father after he had a heart attack and how in that hospital room, caring for a father who had cared for him his whole life became holy ground. And at times, he didn't know whether to laugh or to cry, or sometimes they just did both. Caregiving, shepherding, sheeping, it's messy. Psalm 23 is lived out in real life when these intimate bonds of caring for another human being are formed, or being cared for when we become so vulnerable that we rely on someone else to care for us. And I'm just thinking right now that the circle of caregiving, it, it doesn't end with our you know, immediate families, that there is a wider scope. We have to think about all God's children. All of those who are in broken situations and they need someone to hear them and to advocate for them. We know that our youth, our students, are asking really hard questions and they don't need to be squelched and they don't need to be pushed to the shadows of, of the valley. They need to be heard and brought out into the light. They have questions they need to ask. I know that there are dark places in our community like illiteracy and how predators can prey on children and youth and, and certainly adults who can't read. They need somebody to care for them, to shepherd them. I'm so grateful for those type programs that exist right here in our church and right here in our neighborhood. But whether it's children in foster systems or youth who have hard questions or battling illiteracy or addiction issues or caring for, for a parent or even ministries with those who are, are differently abled, we all find ourselves with this call upon our life. God's leading us. We're being pursued to care for another human being who cannot care for herself or himself. And so sometimes, I suppose God's goodness and mercy finds us in that way when we care for others or when others care for us. It's a powerful thought. Finally, the last thing I'll say is, did you know that left unattended, sheep can absolutely destroy a pasture. They'll just eat it all up. They get all the grass, and then when the next time it rains, it, it washes it all out. It becomes a big mud pit. Unless the shepherd guides them. And he has to keep the sheep there for just not too long, but not too short amount of time either. And if they stay there for just the right amount of time, they can actually do something that's beneficial. They keep it trimmed down real nicely, mowed down, you know. They take out all the toxic berries that would hurt other animals, and they actually, they actually fertilize the field, right? It's kind of a way of saying that, that through this journey, the shepherd and the sheep work together to figure out how to leave things better than they found it for future generations. So I'm thinking about surely and only goodness and mercy following all of us all the days of our lives. What are we going to do with that goodness and mercy when it finds us? Because I want, I want us to challenge ourselves to think about words like legacy, future, investment, bringing together the already and the not yet so will we leave behind peace or turmoil, forgiveness or bitterness, 
contentment or conflict, flowers of joy or thorns of frustration, a burden or blessing, goodness and mercy or fear and resentment. What will we as a flock leave behind? Surely goodness and mercy are following us. Only goodness and mercy are following us to unlock us from all that binds us. Goodness and mercy are chasing all of us to God's house and to a common table where friend and foe can meet and work things out. So stop running. Let go of the chains that bind. Breathe in goodness. Breathe in mercy. Beloved, wherever you are, be loved because you are. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.